0: Send Sergio a message. Um, still blinking. Up oh, there, it is.
1: Bingo. A yin. I watch no aid. I have done what is righteous and just. Not leave me to my oppressors. Assure your servant's well-being. Let not the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail, looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, O Lord. The law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. And because I consider your precepts right, I hate every wrong path.
0: Good stuff there. Good stuff. Okay, doctor, is Mabel all right? Yeah, she's fine. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Let's see here. We got some prayer requests. We got, I have not heard from either. Darlene or uh, Darla or um, Freda in the past week. So I don't know how they're doing. We want to keep all of them in prayer. Darlene, her mother, Arlene, is the one that we're concerned about. Jay is still at home resting after his heart problems. We want to keep him in prayer. And then let's see here. Connor had a bad break while skiing. I think I may have mentioned this before, but he's been in really bad shape for uh, some time. He's on pain meds that weren't helping, but that kind of got resolved a day ago. But he's still in a lot of pain, and uh, the repair surgery can't be done until the swelling goes down. And this has been almost two weeks now, so we're gonna keep Connor in prayer. And then Becky really needs to gain weight and to get her health back and her strength. And we keep bringing her up week after week, and she's just got a, a chronic strain of problems. Or uh, anyway. Uh, Todd has had tough health problems lately and his brother John is going to have a second brain surgery for Parkinson's coming up And so we want to pray for them. Rebecca was in the surgery this morning for her back And I have not heard from her to find out if she's okay or not And Joyce and her husband have trials with finances and they're getting their business going um, I don't want to give any more information on that but there's a lot of stress and uh uh there's also jesus they said so they know that they're in good shape with jesus but they're they're a little bit stressed out about uh, some of the situations with getting things going and then uh, graham asked us to pray for scotland he says they've got some elections going on and he says you know it's just it's chaos over there and it's going commie more and more and it's just disgusting you know all the the gay stuff and and he's uh he's asked for prayers for scotland and then jill uh is still looking for a job and so on and I want to know, if anybody's listening to this now or hears later on YouTube, if anybody is in the Charlotte area and knows employment for a lady, she's a single lady, she's uh, you know probably my age or older, and uh, she's been looking for a job for quite some time, and it's been difficult. So if anybody's listening in the Charlotte area knows, uh, let me know, and I will hook you up with her, and uh, uh, hopefully we can get her to get employed because she's really been looking for something.
1: And you remember Jared and Melissa from grace
0: baptist yes he hurt his father oh today oh wow we had a death jared and melissa so we want to keep them in prayer the deckers yes and then um uh also uh carrie is in the hospital with cancer so we've got lots of people that are having problems we'll go to lord and pray about that heavenly father we certainly do pray for these people and the others that are out there that have uh Uh, got their own troubles their own trials and lord you are aware of every single one of them there's not a thing that is unknown to you and uh fortunately many of these people have already committed everything to you and they know that uh their suffering and their trials belong to you and that you have a purpose for them that uh, uh will bring glory to you and will in the end be understood by them and that's a real comfort for these people because i don't know how anybody could make it in the trials that some people are facing without a knowing without a knowledge of knowing you and who you are. But we're very blessed to have that knowledge and these people uh, understand that. And we also lift up all of our missionaries, the ones that are here, that are overseas, and that uh, um, the churches in Africa that are a part of this uh, ministry as well, and in the Philippines. We pray for all of these people today. Lord, you're in control of all things and your word is going out and we thank you for that. And Lord, uh, just be with your people and guide them. And we certainly pray for this congregation and this uh bible study tonight and that uh it would be proper and we're entering a new book and we thank you for it wonderful new book to uh start uh, researching and knowing about and so we pray that it will be something that will bring you glory in the uh, weeks and even year ahead and we love you we praise you and we exalt you and we do so in jesus name amen, amen. all right I have before we get into oh look at this this is one corinthians here all done that's a year or so of work here? yeah that's that's our so we'll find a place to put that. Maybe somebody want to take it home and read it. Um, let's see here. Um, you know what? Before we get into one, one, uh, two Corinthians one, one, I have two things to read. The first one is, um, this is from our missionary in China. I read something on the prophecy update from uh, uh, him last week. And he sent this to me this week. And I thought it was something that the people in this church could give a name and we could do this. And, uh, A little over 10 years ago i joined a fellowship of about 10 to 15 people while i was back in hawaii each person picked a non-believer to have the group pray for each took the list and the next time i came back to the us i attended that fellowship again to our amazement every one of the people on that list had accepted jesus including the ones in china And so if you would like to submit one name of one person that we can pray for collectively that doesn't know Jesus and uh, will pray specifically for their salvation, give me the name. We'll put it on a list and we'll make a point of doing that. And then I have one other thing to read. Um, This is uh, a gentleman who attends online. He attends every sermon, even if they're not live. He's listened to all of them and the uh, Bible studies. And last year, just about this time last year his son committed suicide and he wrote this and i want to read it to you i'm living on a lifeboat sometimes i'm in the water i visit this reality but i feel like i'm a squatter at times i swim beside the boat when sadness takes its toll i sense a feeding frenzy that is focused on my soul i use up all my strength while i am only seeking air treading through the water in this ocean of despair I'm climbing to the gunnels of this rickety old boat. My hope is that this raft is strong enough to stay afloat. On better days, I'm sitting in my skiff, safe from the sea. I get to catch my breath, if only temporarily. As the waves grow calmer in the sea, I call my home. I catch glimpses of God's glory in spite of all the foam. The gunnels that I cling to, they represent God's word. As long as I hold tight to it, I will not be deterred. In time, we'll all be rescued from our boats that are adrift. We'll understand how awesome is our precious Savior's gift. So my heart goes out to him and his family. What's that? I'll get you a copy of that. It is beautiful, and I uh, I just, you know what? The wonderful, wonderful family I've gotten to know over this past year, and uh, I didn't realize it had been a whole year, and uh, it's been a tough month on him, and I'm sure the whole family, but good things have come out of this as well, so we can look at the lord's hand in that okay we're in two corinthians chapter one verse one starting 12 12 19. see how long it takes <laughs> it okay one one. paul an apostle of christ
1: by the will of god and timothy our brother to the church of god in corinth together with all the saints throughout Asia.
0: okay very good you got that right um do you have a a uh, date that we started one Corinthians. Yeah, okay, because I don't know when we started it, and I don't know how long it took us. So um, while you're looking for that, I'll give my comments. November
1: fifteenth, two thousand eighteen.
0: Okay, so it was it was just one year. It took yeah. one year to get through. Huh, interesting. Okay, two Corinthians one verse one. The book of two Corinthians is cr- comprised of thirteen chapters and totals two hundred and fifty seven verses. If you're ready for a 250, 7 day analysis of this book, this is what I wrote when I was typing it, come along as we peer into its words. And it'll probably take us about that long because we do quite a bit in each uh, uh, study. So by the time a year is over, we'll be about done with this. Feel free to invite a friend if you think they will be blessed as well. Although the verse divisions at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1 are different than the beginning of 2 Corinthians verse 1, the greeting is very similar in both. Let me read you... Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and you'll see that 1 Corinthians 1 says Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother to the church of God which is at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all who are in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord both theirs and ours that's one and two this one says Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother instead of Sosthenes, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. So you can see there's a similarity. He's very consistent in how he does things. In 2 Corinthians, he has substituted Sosthenes with Timothy. Elsewhere, Timothy is noted as Paul's son, which demonstrated a spiritual connection directly to Paul's heart based on their relationship. Here he is called brother because of the connection which should exist between him and the faithful believers who are being addressed the inclusion of timothy here is not without deeper purpose timothy was young and paul wanted him to be confident in his ministry and so he is showing that there was equality between them that should be respected by the other believers as well further there will be some points of perceived contention between the Corinthians and Paul, which need to be addressed, we saw that in One Corinthians. We'll see a little bit of that here in Two Corinthians. Not nearly as much stress on it there as in One Corinthians. Paul, excuse me. <clears throat> Paul had told the Corinthians that he would come to visit them when he left Ephesus, but his plans had changed. The introduction of Timothy, who had been with Paul, would allow him to be a witness who could substantiate that Paul's motives were not in any way impure towards the believers in Corinth. As with 1 Corinthians, Paul establishes his apostolic authority by saying Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, noting that it is by the will of God. It shows that the selection came not by personal choice, but by the sovereign will and grand design of God. His coming words are intended for the church of God, as Paul says, which is at Corinth. But there is also the greater intent of them being read to all believers in the area of which Corinth was the capital and then that extends to all of us today because the book is included in the Bible this is an encyclical letter meaning it'll be cycled around through these churches any smaller churches and any scattered believers were to be included in the reception of his words life application Paul's inclusion of Timothy At the beginning of this letter bestows upon him a special dignity which would bolster the young man's confidence it's good to evaluate others around us and see where we can act in a like manner we are all deficient in one area or another and so with care and attention we can be a participant in the growth of their weakness by using tactful and carefully targeted means something that chris does with me every single week she's always being tactful and targeted with me so they may not even be aware of our efforts but in the end they will be better off if we devote such time towards those around us one two
1: grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus
0: christ Alrighty, dighty this is paul's common greeting even if it contains slight variations it is an exact repeat of 1 corinthians 1 verse 3 he has identified himself his calling, who was accompanying him, and who the letter is directed to. After those formalities, he gives these words, grace to you and peace to you. Grace is unmerited favor. It cannot be earned. Today I got a Post on 1 Timothy 1 14, I think it was. I can't remember. Maybe, or somewhere in there, somewhere in Timothy, maybe it been Titus. Anyway, somebody posted on that in the Superior Word website, and this person was saying that uh, uh, how bad our doctrine is. I had noted that the law of um, Moses is annulled in Christ. And this person went through great detail of showing how the Torah needs to be adhered to and you need to obey every precept of the Torah and on and on and on and started going with the false gospel and the false this and that. And I went back very quickly and I said, I'm not sure what Bible you're reading, but I know what Hebrew says, and I quoted Hebrews, it's annulled, it is obsolete, and it is set aside in Christ. And I said further, it's nailed to the cross. And I said, You can either try to work your way to heaven it's an infinite climb and you only have a finite life to do it or you can get chucked into hell but you ain't going to make it any other way you've got to come to the grace of jesus christ and that is what grace is it is unmerited favor this individual is trying to merit god's favor by observing the law of moses and showing how pious they are above everybody else because and you know i was very clear and direct with them if they're going to pull that you're a false teacher because you're telling people not to adhere to the law of moses I have no sympathy on them. I'm going to tell them exactly point blank what they are, right. uh, need to face. They need to read their Bible. They need to keep it in context and they need to understand the book of Hebrews. If Obviously, they've never read it. If they're in the Torah and they're trying to misquote Paul, which they this individual did, there's no point in even debating with people like that. You yeah, give them the facts. The that's the what law. I told her. You want to live by the law, you can die by the law. And, that's
1: where you and I differ. Like you were right to the point. Yeah, I would tell her, that you spilled, not with
0: the spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not with the spirit. That's And then you would be Facebook banned for three weeks. He, this guy is a Facebook jail master here. He's a master of it. Right? It took me, I, I got, what, banned for three days or two days uh, this past month. That was the first time I've ever been banned, and I really had to work at it. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, so grace is unmerited favor. That's the point that I made to this person. It cannot be earned. There's no pride in it. There's no earning of heaven. There's no earning of God's grace in any way, shape or form. You can come to the cross and you can submit your life and your soul to Christ or that is it. Um, peace, however, is the more common greeting among the Hebrew people in their language. Yes, that's right. It's the word Shalom. Shalom, however, is more than a greeting for calm or quiet. Paul says this every single uh, introduction, grace and peace to you. He doesn't do it with the Galatians, but other than that, he's always saying the same thing, grace and peace to you. And I say the same thing. I just cut and paste. It's very easy to do this, but it's good to be reminded. You've got grace, which is a Greek address, and you've got shalom, which is the Hebrew address. It's more than a greeting for quiet or calm, but a petition for wholeness and completion in all ways. When you wish shalom on somebody, it's Not just peace to you, it's peace to you in a full way, all right? Paul unites the two terms just as the church is being united between Jew and Gentile during his time. This grace precedes the peace because only after receiving God's grace can his peace truly be experienced, something that person posted today could not understand. They cannot understand the peace of God if they have the yoke of the law binding them and tying them down. This wonderful blessing to them is extended from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a greeting from the eternal God, both the unseen Father and his Son, who reveals the Father to us. I was listening to John for the past day or so on my audio Bible in the car, and he was going through uh, the talk with the uh, disciples there at the table, and he was talking about how if you've seen me, you've seen the father and he goes through all this great detail back and forth explaining to them things that they weren't quite clicking on at the time. And that's all what we're seeing right here is that it is a greeting from the eternal God, both the unseen father and his son who reveals the father to us. If you have seen me, the if you have seen me, you have seen the father. Rather than being an argument against the deity of Jesus Christ, which people will do because it says Jesus Christ and God the Father, they say, well, then they're not, you know, it is an argue for it. He is tying the two in as one, Jesus being a member of the Godhead. He's not inferring some type of God-non-God distinction, but a harmonious blending of the two. Both are fully God. You just have to understand what is being said there. Throughout his letters, as with the entire Bible, the deity of Jesus Christ is a concept and it is a precept which simply can't be missed. It is the very heart of what God has done for the reconciliation of the people of the world. Life application, there may be someone around you today who is lacking peace. Take time to tell them of God's grace. In doing so, they may come to the peace which is truly peace, reconciliation with God through a personal relationship with his son not working out deeds of the law not relying on the torah anytime they start using the term torah you know they're trying to act like they know something that you don't know does anybody know what the word torah means a literal translation it means instruction that's all it means instruction means or Torah means instruction. And when they use the term Torah, they're exalting it like it's some word that has some Torahs used throughout the Bible in many ways. Now, Torah is the instruction, speaking of the law of Moses, etc. But that's all it means is instruction. This is your instruction. This is your life guideline, okay? Until the coming of Christ who set aside the Torah. It is obsolete, it is nulled, it is set aside, it is nailed to the cross, okay? One, three.
1: Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all
0: comfort. Okay, very little difference, but I'm going to read it anyway. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Just a little different. Okay, verse 3 begins the formal epistle, following after the greetings of verses 1 and 2. In his words, Paul gives a general note of praise, which is similar in each of his letters. Here, he praises God in a spontaneous outbreak, which could almost be considered a doxology in itself. In the greeting, he notes the deity of Christ through the words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The praise is to Christ's Father, but it is an implicit reference to Jesus' own deity because of the pattern given in Genesis 1, which shows that all things reproduce after their own kind. Everybody got that? So if his father is God and his mother is a human, what do you have? The God man, right? You know what? You read the account of, mules can't have children. Did you know that? Well, you read the account of King David and what do you have? The king's mule. It doesn't say the king's donkey. It's making a point there about something. What's he doing? He's saying, well, you got a horse and you got a donkey and you put the two together and you come up with a mule. It's a unique thing, okay? Anyway, Here, uh, yes, uh, where was I? Oh, Genesis 1, which shows that all things reproduce after their own kind. Jesus wasn't adopted as a son. Rather, he came forth from God. Okay? And this this God is the father of all mercies. The words are an expression. A Hebrew mode of speaking where an adjective is substituted for a noun. It would then be synonymous with the term merciful father. However, there is more force in the mere phrase "merciful Father" because of the way it is constructed. Mercy and compassion describe Him, and they are a part of His unchanging attributes. I'll be talking about unchanging attributes this Sunday. Um, I'll also be—just so you know—I I haven't told anybody except I think maybe I told Chris and the people at the uh, the uh, uh, mission work on Saturday. But we're finishing numbers on the first week of. The first week of january yeah we've got this week is a, pl- a place of refuge and then we've got christmas sermon the week after that and then we got one more week which will be the death of the high priest that'll finish out chapter 35 of numbers and then chapter 36 will be one sermon long great great stuff it's the daughters of zelophahad okay and then from there we got to do something and i don't like getting away from the bible i i just don't but i've had somebody that's been pestering me for years and years about doing doctrine sermons and so i'm going to do 10 or 12 doctrine sermons. And so you'll get that. You know, what is the Trinity? Why do we Why do we believe the Trinity? Why do we believe that Christ is God? Why do we believe that Christ is man? So you're going to hear all of that. And I know that you're going to like it. I know you will. Okay, that's not the point with me. I just like going through the Bible. I like the verse by verse stuff, but I know that you will be blessed by these sermons. And uh, so that's what we're going to do and, because he's just been... Beating me to death for a long time over this, and he does a lot for the church. And so I finally thought I'm going to do this for him. And uh, but uh, well, I won't get into that. Okay, anyway, I have
1: to start up my game here because I've been asking for John.
0: You've been asking for John. Well, we're going to get to John eventually, but that's not going to be <laughs> for a while. All right, so here we go mercy and compassion describe him, and they're a part of his unchanging attributes. Further, Paul calls him the God of all comfort. He's not only merciful, but his mercy transfers into compassion for those to whom he has bestowed his mercy. It is a wonderful thought that not only are we granted release from the punishment we deserve, but the one who so releases us then comes to us with consolation and a hand of loving care. In this verse, Charles Ellicott notes that in the balanced structure of the sentence, the order of God and Father in the first clause being inverted in the second, we may trace something like an unconscious adoption of the familiar parallelism of Hebrew poetry. If you know what he's talking about, parallelism, God says something in, or David or whoever is speaking will say something in one verse, they'll turn around and they'll say something. The same thing in another verse It's called parallelism. They're saying the same thing, but they're saying it in a different way so that it sinks in, okay? So, uh, and that this is what he is saying that Paul is probably thinking of because he's a Hebrew and he's writing these things out and he's giving... Parallelism. Okay, so Paul, despite being the apostle to the Gentiles, never strayed far from his Hebrew upbringing and he transfers it to us in his New Testament writings. That is evident all the way through his writings. Life application because of Jesus, we can see the evident mercy of God upon us. What we deserve, we are not given. Instead of wrath and punishment, we have been granted mercy. And further, God then provides us with abundant comfort as he tends to us. No matter how bad we may have it at any given time, it is far better than the best we could expect if we got what we truly deserved. Thus, let us always remember to thank God for the many blessings he has lavished upon us. Okay, Uh, doctrine sermons, I'll go back to that for just a minute. You'll get a lot of stuff about why I disagree with Calvinism or why I disagree with this or that. And it's not to be negative on them. It's just that you need to know what is correct. Okay, and so, uh, you know, I did the same thing with R.C. Sproul all the time. I'd pick him on him because I love the guy and he'd have really bad doctrine in some areas. So I'd use him as the premier example of that particular issue. Doesn't mean I hate the person I'm talking about, but they are wrong. They're absolutely wrong on predestination, as we saw last week, an election and things like that. So uh, doctrine is a little bit different than going by the Bible because there's really nobody to pick on. You just take God's word and you analyze it. Uh, but um, unless you get a commentary by somebody like Cambridge, who I was always picking on in the book of Numbers because it was just such poor commentaries. And I don't mean poor in their scholarly efforts. I mean poor in their taking the Bible and saying this isn't the word of God because, it, you know, this was inserted later. Or this, it's inexcusable if somebody's going to comment on the Word of God, they better ex- at least believe that it's the Word of God. So anyway, and I'll pick on people over things like that, because there, there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for it.
1: Do you, do you remember what you told me when I was going up to the scroll? Was, oh, yes. I was supposed to hug him and then slap him. Slap him. Head.
0: Yes. I I I, I got luckily, luckily I didn't, didn't get that close. You didn't so. get that close. But yes, <laughs> okay. I said, give him a big hug for me and then give him a lap on the head for his bad doctrine you know a great guy just you know great guy but he had some really faulty analysis of some things and yet some of his analysis were so spot-on i'm telling you, his crystal his christology his uh understanding of apologetics just marvelous you know It's just you have to take the good and forget the bad okay one four
1: who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from
0: God okay what do you think the main theme of that verse is <laughs> well, I'll read. they actually add in a fourth one on my my uh, translation who comforts us in all tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God so I get four. you only got three but obviously the main theme of that verse is as Jim said sharing whoops I mean comfort okay this is uh, this verse is connected directly to the previous verse which said blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all Comfort it is this God of all comfort of which Paul continues to speak it is he who comforts us in all our tribulation The us is speaking of all believers, but especially himself, those with him, and the recipients of his letter, the Corinthians. We are included in this as well, and that God has ensured this epistle is included in the Bible. Okay, does anybody here face tribulations or trials? Uh, There you go. See, then it's speaking to all of us. And the people that I mentioned at the beginning of the, uh, they're all facing some sort of tribulation, and many of them are believers. Okay? Okay. Therefore, we can be confident that all tribulations we face do, in fact, include God's great hand of comfort. We have to look for it, though. We can sit there and we can say, oh, poor me, pity me. Or we can say, God, I understand that you have a purpose for this. I hate what's going on. I'm miserable, but I will trust you with it. And I'm looking to you for my comfort, okay? And sometimes it's almost not possible to not say, poor, pity me. We just get so down in ourselves. I understand that. I mean, there are times where you just are struggling to the point where you just think, oh, I can't take any more. All right. And then you read the book of Job and you think, oh, I can actually take a little bit more, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, um uh, and there is a reason for this in our lives. All that comfort for our tribulations, it is that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. In this, Paul gives an end purpose for our own tribulations. I went to visit somebody at the hospital today. She's had she's in there because she has cancer and she's got all these troubles that came along with it she's gone through an entire cycle of going through operations and being told everything is okay and then something happens and it just it's been a miserable existence for her there are times where she's overwhelmed and she's breaking down in tears but through it all She keeps saying, I have learned that I can be empathetic to others. And the doctor yesterday came to visit her and said, you know, I want you to be a person that does this. He has a special term where she can go. Advocate. "Advocate, Thank you. And she said, I don't think I'm the right person for that. But he said, well, then you can write a blog. And she says, I can do that. I can write a blog exactly what I've gone through and how that can help other people. And, you know, I'll tell you something. Let me stop right here. I got me. Okay. I was in there yesterday visiting her and the guy came in to put in a, thing into her arm okay and he came in well he came in to give her a mid something midline midline, okay and he's all set now me I would never question a doctor my grandfather was a doctor and I learned that you did what the doctor said okay and so I would never question the doctor this guy walked in with instructions from the doctor which went through a PA that were written down and it says give her a midline and she stopped and she said that is incorrect I would never have done that I would have just said okay put it in there you know she said that's incorrect and he said well that's what it says it was signed by the PA and she says that is, I have been told pick line pick line pick line all the way through this okay and now you're saying that I'm getting a whatever you just yeah. midline okay so um, uh, and uh, that guy was flustered I said don't have him come back today cuz he will put ten <laughs> holes in you before he gets it right he was completely beside himself they can't make nobody makes errors Nobody makes errors. Okay. So finally, he excused himself and left and come to find out that the PA had written the doctor's instructions wrong. And so everything was as it was. But she said, I know how to tell people how to confront the doctor because most people don't know that. I'm one of them. I would have no idea how to confront the doctor. So we're talking about the purpose of our afflictions right here. And I'm giving you a real life example. She's gone through tons of afflictions, things that I will probably never even... Begin to experience and yet she's one positive about it Two, given it to the Lord and three She is able now to comfort other people with the comfort which she has been comforted with and to give them No nonsense about your health care something. I you know, I just wouldn't do okay So we'll go on they come so that we will have speaking of the troubles they come so that we will have the ability to comfort others in their time of tribulation if God is truly the God of all comfort And our comforting others in their own tribulations is an end purpose of those afflictions we face then this must mean that God's comfort for those we uh, in turn provide comfort to is being provided by us thus we become the means of God's comfort of which he speaks we if we're willing to let God use us become the very means that the Bible is speaking about everybody understand that one plus one equals two always in theology Okay, in confirmation of this, Paul shows this to be so when our own ability to comfort others comes, as he says, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted with. Jesus suffered, and yet through his sufferings, he was able to provide comfort to those who followed him. They, in turn, suffered, and they, in turn, were able to provide comfort to those who followed them. It is a repeating cycle of care, which stems originally from God who truly is the God, as Paul says, of all comfort? This is actually alluded to in Hebrews chapter 5. Here's what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, let's see here, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant in going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. The high priest was a man. He was subject to weakness. And so when they came and they sacrificed, he understood, he empathized with them. Right? Everybody got that? It wouldn't be any good to have somebody that wasn't a man because he couldn't empathize in the proper way. I knew you fell asleep. I told everybody that. So we have, yeah, I wasn't worried about him. Anyway, the, um, uh, the point of Christ's incarnation is because he could empathize with us he could sympathize with us and so God united with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ that's the point that this person is making Paul certainly in the book of Hebrews okay and that is what Paul is saying right here okay that is why Christ gave us of himself in his humanity so you doing okay there Burke I are. Well, good to have you here You're only uh, you're pulling a mascara tonight gee whiz as an additional note Paul does not say that the only reason for our tribulations is to attain the ability to comfort others. Tribulations may come for correction or an instrument of bringing us closer to the Lord. I've seen that a million times in these people's lives or simply for attaining knowledge that we would otherwise be lacking. In all, though, when tribulations come, they are not unknown to God, nor is he uncaring concerning our situation. He's all caring about it. He knows everything about it but we don't see it that way because we are finite we're in time and we're going through the pains in the process i have said this to a million people and every time i've said it after somebody's gone through their troubles they've all agreed i have yet to have anybody not say i understand i'm talking about believers here i understand now why that happened it may have been a year or two later but eventually they clue in i understand why god put me through that it was miserable in the process but i understand that now a very few people, I should, shouldn't say everybody, but I think very few people have ever come and said, I still don't understand why God allowed that in my life. I'm talking about after it's over and now things are going the way they should be going. They look back and they say, boy, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been able to help that person or I wouldn't have known about that when this happened or et cetera, et cetera. Always. Okay. God is infinitely wise. We're not. So we just, as uh, Tom always says at the uh, projects, he says, just leave it in God's capable hands. He's capable, okay? Let life application, God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us when we are in Christ. Let us be reassured in this, especially when times of great trial or suffering arise. One five.
1: For just as the suffering of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows.
0: <laughs> Okay, this one says it a little differently. For he said comfort how many times before, and then they use a different word here. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. There are numerous references to the sufferings of Christ in the Bible, and many of them are spoken of as being related directly to his disciples. In Col- one Coloss- I'm sorry, in Colossians one twenty four, Paul tells us that I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. The church is destined for suffering, just as it is destined for glory. Paul understood this, and he felt that as much as he suffered, there was an abounding of consolation to be found at the same time. Nothing was lacking in the process of suffering, and the consolation which he felt was the surety that he possessed the Spirit of God. In knowing this, he was thus comforted because the Spirit is a guarantee of future glory for the believer. Hence, he notes exactly this in Philippians 3, verse 10. Here's what he says in Philippians 3, 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And then he goes on in verse 11. If by any means I may attain attain." to the resurrection of the dead, or from the dead. In being comforted, or I'm sorry, in being conformed to his death, we shall also be raised as he was to eternal life, as Paul says, through the power of the resurrection. There could be no shame in the suffering if there is coming glory, which that suffering leads to. Thus, there is the great consolation, which, as Paul says, also abounds through Christ. Understanding this, believers are not to be ashamed of suffering, but instead are instructed to be willing to bear his reproach, knowing that we bear all of the honor and future glory that comes with it. Peter's speaking about that a lot right now in 4 and 5 of uh, 1 Peter. And so the author of Hebrews admonishes us with these words. He says in verse 13, 13, therefore, let us go forth to him Outside the camp, bearing his reproach, life application, even if we have never really suffered for the name of Christ, many in the world have. We cannot assume that just because the place where we live is a harbor of safety for Christians, that it won't be attacked at some point. And therefore, we must always be ready to accept sufferings that may come our way, knowing that in them, our consolation will also abound through Christ. Okay. 1 6.
1: If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance, the same suffering.
0: Okay, this is completely differently translated here. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Quite quite different in the rendering there. Okay, Paul's words continue on from the thought of the previous verse. There he noted the logical chain of events from Christ's sufferings to the sufferings of the apostles. In their sufferings, they also abounded in Christ's consolation. In turn, he notes that there is a reason for their afflictions. It is for your consolation and salvation. One thing leads naturally to another. Paul shows us This explicitly in Philippians chapter 1. Here's what he says in verses 12 through 14. He says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Here he is in prison, right? Okay. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's suffering in prison, okay? And he's saying, look at how wonderful it is that this has come about because of my chains. It is then for a good purpose that the apostles were afflicted. The lessons learned by those who saw their sufferings led directly to their consolation and even salvation, which Paul says is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. And remember, this isn't just the palace guard. This is every person that has read the letters of Paul or Peter or anybody else throughout the church age and said, man, these guys knew Christ and they suffered for Christ. They participated in the same sufferings. And why should I be exempt? Unless you're going to what Joel Olstein's church, you got to know that you're not exempt from sufferings. If you are in Christ, bad things happen. It just, they do. And then we have to say, Lord, why is this happening? And if he doesn't answer, you say, well, I'm going to accept it just as it is. Paul did that. Yeah, I asked three times for this affliction to be taken from me. And finally, the divine response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay. So we learn by example and we can remember others' courage during afflictions, which can then strengthen us in our own walk. This is a natural human pattern, be it a soldier learning from his platoon sergeant or a cowhand on the range learning from the older hands. To see that others can take difficulties shows us that we too, having a like nature, can take them as well. Finally, it isn't just sufferings that we receive benefit from. It is also times of comfort. As Paul notes, or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Not only the sufferings, but the comforts as well. The Corinthians were able to see both sides of the coin through Paul's afflictions and through his times of comfort. And because of this, They were able to process what happened to him and apply it to themselves and their own spiritual walk. This progression is seen from Paul's hand in the book of Romans, chapter 5, and he says in verse 3 through 5, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. One thing leads to another. Life application. Those who are wise will learn. Miss Garrett, what a nice thing having you come tonight. So unexpected. Yeah. Those who are wise will learn from those who go before them. If we pay heed to their times of trials and their times of rejoicing and grasp how they were affected by them, we can follow their example when similar times come upon us. To think that we are experiencing something new, which is unique to the human condition, is naive. And to think that we can handle such an instance better than those who have already experienced them without learning from them is only begging for greater troubles than we need to face. Hence, we have the word of God with all of the instruction there. I'll tell you, somebody asked me uh, yesterday, it was a great question, right? It's the first time I've ever been asked this question, Is uh the introduction to the psalms sometimes you'll say a psalm of david when he was blah 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 Uh, and it'll say or uh, a psalm for the sabbath day or and they're not a part of the Psalm. they're not a numbered verse and she said why are these here everything has a purpose in the bible you say that all the time why are they here and i went through and i explained to her i said sometimes it's not a part of the body of the psalm itself right you've got the Psalm, and it's giving you the man's heart feelings but When did he write that psalm? He wrote it when he was in real trouble. He's out there in a cave. His son has abandoned him. You know, King Saul is against him, whatever. You know, he's been forced to flee to the uh, Gaza, to enemies of Israel. And yet he stops and he writes a psalm about how great God is. So it's not a part of the psalm, but you need to know the background information because if you don't know that, then you think, oh, David was always happy and he had no afflictions at all. When in fact he's writing from a dirty spot where everybody's abandoned him and he's crying out to God. And then sometimes it's given just simply to give instruction with music on the gitit, or, you know, according to Shoshanim, which is the lilies, which is a song. And so you know the proper music to play. Now that doesn't have any bearing on us, but it had bearing on the people that played in the temple. They needed to know what to play. And so he would say al-getit, right, or whatever. And, or um, uh, played to the, uh, what is it? The uh, tune of Death of the Son. Well, you can see David mourning over his own son after having written that. And there's a couple of them that say to the tune of death of a son. He wants that mood to be in a psalm. And that's why those are in there. One of them says a psalm for the Sabbath day. Well, it doesn't need to be a part of the psalm. It needs to be an introduction for the people to know. This is to be read on the Sabbath day. Okay, and so there you go. That is why those are in there. But I, what a wise question. I was so happy to get that question because it really showed somebody cares about the word and they wanna know why is this here? If it's not numbered, there must be a reason there you go and i'm sure there's a lot more reasons that i didn't think of but those are just some that came to mind okay so anyway um seven thank you
1: and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings you also so you also share in our comfort
0: okay Uh, it's close enough where i ain't going uh, where i'm not going to uh uh, reread it but uh you said firm this says steadfast you said comfort this is consolation so you get words, words can mean, you don't have to say the same thing to get the same concept, okay? And th- there are reasons why people select a certain typology or a certain set of words to convey a meaning. But at the same time, Paul has something on his mind. Now you wanna do your own translation and you know that you can't plagiarize this. And so you'll think of a, it's called a, it begins with an S and ends with a M and it has N and M in the middle, anybody? Yeah, a synonym. Okay, that's a word that has the same meaning as another word. And so you try to get one that has the same meaning or the same mood, and you put it in there. And so there's nothing wrong with your translation. And if anybody condemns you for reading the NIV, you know what I'd tell them. Well, I'd tell them in my head, but I wouldn't tell them personally. Anyway, um, yeah. I'd tell them. I know you would. As many as you can. Read as many as you can. Take the advice of the King James Version translators and read as many translations as you can. Because you will get a better understanding of the word of God by reading multiple translations instead of, as they say, being captivated by one. Okay. Can somebody asked
1: me why I keep this, I have like six pens worth of notes. Absolutely. That's I my am not given this Bible.
0: The NIV God. Bible that I have back there. It's on the uh, the shelf that was given to be, me by mom. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses came by and they gave me a world translation, New World Translation. I was sitting there reading it. I didn't know anything when I met the Lord. And she freaked, she flipped. The next day I had a brand new gold lined NIV and that thing has got more notes in it. It's got, you know, like I count how many days it was from uh, the time that Noah went into the ark until the, it'll say, you know, whatever, but I, I would count those and I'd say, well, this is this many months in this, you know, and I, I have got all kinds of calculations. I never want to lose that because I don't read it that often, but sometimes there's something I want to refer to. And I understand you got a Bible that you put a lot of notes in, you might want to keep it. Or if you're Chris, she's more proud to give it away to somebody because they now know what she was thinking, and they can think, well, "I won't say it." I'm just going to make a bad joke. Well, I'm going to make... Never mind. Never. <laughs> Chris is my frenemy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here we go with one seven. Um, again, as with the previous verses, Paul ties suffering in with comfort it's so nice to have her in the class today you know she never comes she's always attending online okay chit-chatting with people on facebook or something i don't know but she decided to come today so no she's not on facebook okay paul ties suffering in with comfort it is true that we cannot fully appreciate things without a contrast with which to gauge them if we always felt well we wouldn't have an appreciation for what feeling well means but when we get hurt or sick we can then truly understand how good it was to just feel normal. And when we get back to feeling normal, we can enjoy it in a new way. If everything smelled sweet, we wouldn't have an appreciation for it. I'll tell you somebody that I know, I, I, I don't know them personally, I know of them because they were talking on the uh, radio, and this person worked at a sawmill. It was a lady, and she said, Every day I walked to the sawmill and it smelled so wonderful. It was wonderful and she'd say I'd be there five minutes and I wouldn't smell it anymore and I'd have to leave and come back the next day to get that smell and if everything smelled sweet all the time, you would never appreciate it. You couldn't appreciate it. I have the night blooming Jasmine blooming right now at our house and it is the most heavenly smell I know on this planet literally the most heavenly. I make little cuttings and I, they almost root themselves you make a cutting and put it in there and so if anybody wants a night-blooming jasmine don't go buy it let me know and I'll make you a cutting and we'll put it in there and I got them all around the yard but what I used to do when I had properties I took care of all over I would plant them there and yeah. because it just smells good and if somebody saw it they would know it is and they'd leave it alone because that's Charlie taking care of the property but eventually they'd smell it and the thing about night-blooming jasmines though is you don't really smell them right there you can be three blocks away and you smell something that smells literally you think you're in heaven it's it's glorious and you're like and you can't find it you can't find it because it it sends its smell out away from it for some reason but it really is a wonderful smell, and that is God giving us this wonderful blessing. But if it was if everything smelled like night-blooming jasmine, we could not appreciate night-blooming jasmine. The Confederate jasmine blooms a couple of weeks a year, and it's a wonderful smell, and you smell it, and you think, oh, it's so wonderful. And then by the time it's done, you're okay with it. And then it goes away, and by the that time next year, you're waiting for that first blossom to come out. You're waiting for it because it's so wonderful. But if it was there all year long, you would not appreciate it in the same way. Okay, but when an objectionable odor comes along, we can then more appreciate the sweet fragrance of the flowers. In consideration of this, Paul has spoken of suffering and consolation. Here he tells the Corinthians and all who suffer in Christ and have read this letter that the apostles hope is for us in our suffering, that hope for us in our suffering is steadfast. They had suffered and they had received consolation likewise they knew that we being partakers of the sufferings as paul says would also partake of the consolation to show that the hour is certainly a truth understood by the other apostles we can go to the words of peter in his first epistle he shows a similar thought for us to consider let me take you there really quickly i'll be typing the commentary on this particular verse in peter in about Three days, maybe uh no, five days. Five. I did one Peter five, five this morning. So in five days I'm going to do that. I'm glad that we're doing this now because I can refer back to this. 1 Peter, I'm in 2 Peter, gotta get back to the right book. 1 Peter 5, verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace, who calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. The truth is that suffering is stinks nobody willingly hopes for suffering but in christ there is a good end to the sufferings we face and there is a good reason why we have faced them the fragrance of the consolation is there and it is all the more sweet because we too have suffered life application in the bible we are admonished to fix our eyes on jesus in so doing, we won't get arrogant in the good times, and we won't become despondent in the difficult times. In Him is our perfect example to emulate, and our perfect hope to anticipate. Eight,
1: we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life.
0: Okay. Worded differently, but it says the same thing. Paul has been writing in general terms and speech during his introductory comments. He now initiates a more specific line of thought, beginning with, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. The same terminology is used by him at least four other times in his epistles. For example, in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13, he says, but I do not want you to be Ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest your sorrow, you sorrow as others who have no hope. Continuing on, he will now give specific details of the sufferings that he referenced in verse three through seven. They came about in Asia, meaning the part of Asia Minor in which Ephesus is the capital. This trouble may be referred to in one or more of the incidents recorded in the book of Acts, but which cannot be definitively identified. He went through all kinds of troubles there, but there you go. It may also be, as some suppose, an internal stress that he felt. If so, it could be the troubles which are identified in his first letter to the Corinthians, his concern over them, and the conflict he felt concerning what type of reception his words would bring. If this is so, he stressed over the matter in the greatest way. However, later verses seem to negate this possibility. Whatever the burden, internal or external, it was felt by those who were with him. As he notes, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength. The term beyond measure comes from the Greek word hyperbole, which means properly a throwing beyond. It then indicates excess. The burden he felt was in such a category, even above strength. The words are given as a superlative way of showing the nature of the situation. So bad it was that, as he says, we despaired of even of life. His choice of wording, translated as despaired, is the word exoporeo. It is used only twice in the New Testament, and both are in this epistle. It comes from ex, meaning out, and aporeo, which is to be a way without a way of escape. Okay, so you're out without a way of escape. All right, again, the use of his words is intended to let the Corinthians know the absolutely serious nature of the situation that he and his companions faced life application. Paul has taken the time to expand on his previous thoughts to show the superlative nature of his sufferings. Despite them as seen in the previous verses, he was comforted. He then noted that the same comfort was a means of edifying and comforting his audience. If we can learn to use real life examples of our troubles and trials We can then turn and show empathy for others who are living through their own trials. Reading our Bible daily is a good way of learning how to do exactly this. Don't let your Bible get dusty. Please don't let your Bible get dusty. Read it and think on it daily. 1-9. Indeed, in our hearts we
1: felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead.
0: Okay, this adds in, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, which is then explained in the second clause, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. All right, this verse should be taken and considered in light of the previous one, which said that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. In this desperate state, Paul acknowledges that they questioned if they would even survive the, the, the ordeal. They said they despaired of life. And the answer came back in their minds that they would not. The word translated sentence is apokryma. It is a word not found anywhere else in the New Testament or even in Greek literature, which means that Paul probably coined this word. Okay, it indicates a judicial sentence, meaning an answer. There seemed to be a decree that they would not survive the ordeal. A divine decree is what he's referring to, basically. But this led them to the truth, which almost always seems to be the case with those in such despair. He goes on and says that we should not trust in ourselves. The soldier in the foxhole will call out to God, knowing that he is incapable of making it without him. The person lost at sea and going down because the raging waters knows when there is finally no hope but from God alone. In such instances, there is only the trust of God left. However, Paul's words add to the thought. Their trust wasn't that God would save them from the immediate trial, but that he would save them from the results of it. The sentence seemed to be pronounced, death. And so knowing that death was inevitable, they entrusted themselves to, as he said, God who raises the dead. He's looking beyond the trouble. We're not gonna make it out of this, but God is going to raise us. Wonderful thought to have when you're facing something really critical. If they were to die, which seemed to be the case, their hope extended beyond the grasp of death itself and found itself realized in the hope of the resurrection. This conforms to Paul's words, which we read just a short while ago in one Corinthians chapter 15, where he said, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. I hope that person that emailed me or posted on that Bible verse will realize this. The law is only going to bring about the sting of death. It is not going to save anybody. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can see Paul relying on that hope when they thought they were certainly going to die. Paul took comfort in the truth that Jesus Christ prevailed over death, and so death had no mastery over him. Instead, even with the foe of the sentence of death awaiting him, he felt the powerful victory of Jesus Christ, an even stronger friend. Life application, as Christians bury their dead, they will often commit the soul of the departed loved one into the hands of Jesus Christ. Or if you watch any of the old war movies or even war documentaries, which were actual people that served in World War II and somebody dies on a ship, what do they do? They commit them to Jesus Christ into the great deep and off goes their body into the ground. They were saying that in our military in World War II, openly, without any shame, without any ACLU or FFRF or anybody else telling them, you can't say that. Of course we can, because this is a Christian nation and these are Christians that have died and And they have a hope of the resurrection. That's right, and it's true. That's right, it is true. So acknowledging they committed the soul of the departed loved one into the hands of Jesus Christ acknowledging the power of the resurrection in this the body planted is but a seed waiting to be given the water of life to bring it back from the ground this is truly our great hope and this is certainly where our ultimate joy should be oh my hair's standing up! look at that wow ah oh, go ahead 110
1: he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will and he will deliver us On him we have set our hope That he will continue to deliver
0: us. Okay, instead of our hope, they say we trust. Okay, very close. In the previous verse, Paul spoke of the sentence of death which loomed over him and those he was with. He took this to heart. Knowing this, he said that they should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now he continues by telling the Corinthians that it was God who delivered us from so great a death. He has taken the extreme possibility of death that he faced. And equated it to death itself in order to more effectively communicate the dire situation that they faced. It is as if they had actually been resurrected in their deliverance. So sure was the sentence that hung over them. He's talking as if they had actually died and been resurrected. That's how certain they were that they weren't going to make it. And not only had they been delivered, but they continued to be delivered as he wrote his letter. The victory was not just in the past, but it was ongoing. And more, he believed that it would continue into the future, stating in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. The word trust here is not the same Greek word as was in the previous verse. That word communicated the sense of to have confidence. This word, el pizzo, conveys the idea of hope. In essence, we are not to have confidence in ourselves, but we are to place our hope in God. No matter what we face, we can only rely on God and his promises Us once again. I don't know how anybody cannot read the Bible. I don't know what do you do. You know, I mean, you ask somebody to tell you what the Bible says when you're in a pickle. Can you please give me comfort from the Bible? Well, yeah, I can. But if you had been showing up in church and for Bible study, you'd be able to do that as well. And I, you might not remember where, but I can say it's right here. Go read it again and comfort yourself. But people they get themselves into these things because they find other things that are more important. Okay, now I do admit. Yesterday I. I uh, took a little time off from the Bible after I finished work and Sergio and I watched the movie together. And the whole time we, yeah, we do this all the time. We'll start three, two, one, and then we start the movie at the same time. And we sit through the whole movie and we'll talk back and forth about Well, it, I had more fun last night with Sergio. He stayed up until three o'clock in Israel. Yeah, we're watching this movie, just laughing and having a good. And the funny thing is he would say something. And at the same time, I would say that must have happened a hundred times. We had exactly the same thought on our mind. It was uh, oh, was marvelous. It was the best evening. I, I, I'll tell you afterward. I'm not going to say it now. It was a very funny movie. All right. I'm going to say it, but I don't want anybody to email me about this. I don't want any abuse. It was the Pink Panther 2. Okay. With Steve Martin. It was it was marvelous it was just we laughed like little children I'm telling you why the first thing I did when I got up in the morning was thought what a nice evening and I almost emailed him and I thought I bet you he's still asleep because you know oh he stayed up really late and so I waited until he emailed and then we the first thing we talked about was the night before it was just like two little kids having fun but yeah it, you know it, 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 you the point is that we need to stay in the word but there are times where you can have fun too okay but to me the word is fun i gotta tell you the funnest time i have in my life huh you could never tell (laughs) monday is my funnest day ever i I,
1: call you oh
0: what yeah don't call me on Monday. i'm telling you when people call on monday and i'm thinking about something and i get distracted i can lose an hour i'm not kidding because i got all these things i'm trying to make sure i don't forget and i god is making a logical presentation and if that phone rings or if something happens it is so distracting it really is because it's an important thing you're preparing the Word of God okay and you want to make sure that you give it properly and there are times where I'll be practicing a sermon and I'll, or I'll be typing one and I'll say Lord if I'm not right about this I hope you'll show me because I do not want to present something which is inaccurate that is the one thing above all things else is the Word of God I don't want to be wrong in this I have friends send me commentaries that they have written and they'll say well when you get to this passage and i always say lord you know i don't want to be misled by this i will consider it i will read it with everything else but i need to make sure that what you give is your word and if i'm not sure you're just going to get a mechanical sermon with nothing else you're not going to get anything else because i don't want to misuse this precious gift but anyway Um, No matter what we face, we can only rely on God and his promises for us. If we are to die, we have hope in the resurrection. If we are to live, it can't be because of our control over whatever the situation is, but only because of God's hand being in it. As the hand is unseen, it is a hope that we possess. You know what? I got to tell you, when people say God is with me in this, I'm talking about believers that really believe that Christ is with them. That is a place of reward because you're, you're demonstrating absolute belief that God is with you in that trial or in that situation or in your prayer for the job or in your prayer for, you know, direction and your uh, whatever, okay? He is there with you. That is a point of reward simply because you're doing the one thing that you can do for God is to demonstrate faith in him. It's What else are you gonna give him? I mean, you can give him love, but he is love. We're not adding anything, okay? But we can give him our faith. We can give him our faith all right life application can we honestly say that we will be alive in five minutes our heart could stop our house could be struck by a meteorite or we might be get bitten by an type this years ago an unseen spider here we got somebody in the church that got bit by a spider and he's taking care of it very carefully right now because it can be deadly we truly have no control over a single moment in time therefore let us place our souls in the capable hands of the lord and know that whatever we face, he is tending to it. We shall be delivered in life and through death because of the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. What can man do to us? What can the world do to us? What can a meteorite do to us? Oh, those stupid Christians were in church on Thursday night and a meteorite destroyed their church and they all died. Guess what? I'm going to be with Jesus. Hey, Uh, oh, I don't care what anybody says. You know, that could have happened to the restaurant next door and not to us. Dang, you know, Okay, one eleven.
1: As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many.
0: Okay. Read that again and think about what he said. Read it again and really think about what he said.
1: It it stops halfway. Eleven. That's okay. Okay, just read it.
0: Read it read it again just as you did.
1: As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf. For the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Why, uh,
0: why pray? Uh, uh, why pray? Yeah. Why pray? What good does it do? Yeah. If God knows everything, why pray? All right? Absolutely. You hear that all the time. Paul is adamant. He is adamant that it is effective. And not only that, but he says the prayers of the many. He's it's showing that there is an additive effect when many pray for an issue Hence, I'll take you back to what we talked about at the beginning of this class and I'll remind you what I said Um, I can't find it now. Where is it? I put it somewhere. Oh, yeah, a little over 10 years ago I joined a fellowship of about 10 to 15 people while I was back in Hawaii each person picked a non-believer to have the group pray for this is a collective group praying for individuals we took the list and the next time I came back to the United States, I attended that fellowship again to our amazement, every one of the people on that list had accepted Jesus, including the ones in China, okay? that That is something that I, people ask me, why do we pray? That's exactly why we pray, okay? I'm not saying that God is going to heal you if you have cancer, but that's why we pray is because God can heal you if you have cancer, okay? That's just the way it is. And when many pray, the prayers of the many, Paul says, Are effective they will come to the purpose that they were intended if the answer is no the answer is no but God has heard the prayers of the many and not just one I just don't understand how anybody can say prayer isn't effective it is it is okay verse 11 Paul's writing show that he truly believed in the effectiveness of prayers on behalf of others meaning intercessory prayers for example in Philippians 1 verse 19 he says for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ he knew it he knew it here he shows the same belief to those at Corinth in the previous verse he had just noted the great deliverance which was received for him and those he was with this also included the belief that they would have continued deliverance and so in a delicate way of asking for prayer, he writes as if they had been in prayer all along by saying, you also helping together in prayer for us. If they had been praying, he knew it was a help to them. And in their in their continued or newly initiated prayers would be heard for their ongoing delivery. They and them, meaning them speaking for them. Okay, the two groups. And he gives the reason for this help through prayer by saying that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, the word for persons here is prosopon, which literally means faces. It is an expression which is found many times in the New Testament and which carries over from the Hebrews' pictorial way of describing a person. Thus, the mind is given an image of many faces jointly being lifted to God in thanks. Ellicott notes an interesting concept concerning this word: the use of the word prosopopeia however, for personifying and of prosopon for the characters in a drama, indicates that the noun was beginning to be used in a different sense. And this must clearly have been well established when it came to be used in theological language for the three persons of the Godhead. It is interesting to note, however, as a fact in the history of language that if this be its meaning here, It is probably one of the earliest extant instances of its so being used. In other words, the term persons of the Godhead has always seemed cumbersome because we think of persons as distinct and separate without any true unity of essence. However, the use of the word prosopon for person may make the concept easier to grasp than some other word indicating an individual person as we think of it today. It wouldn't mean God is one person with three faces, but three persons in one essence, just as those in prayer are united in a single way, even though they're individuals. Regardless of this, though, Paul notes that these many faces being because of their united prayer would give thanks for the gift granted to us through many. The gift refers to the delivery from death something the many would be thankful for because of knowing that their prayers had been heard and responded to. Life application. On several occasions, Paul notes the effectiveness of prayers, including the greater effectiveness of united prayers on behalf of a given person or issue. Therefore, it is right and proper to jointly lift up individuals or specific issues to God, and we should do so with the confidence that these prayers are heard And they are responded to according to his wisdom and in accord with his plans. Just thought of another prayer request right now. I might as well, so I don't forget it, is Bill and Patty who went out to Arizona. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were with Mission One and some things that weren't agreeable happened there. And they left Mission One and they have not found a job since. And they've been living off of their own savings since then in faith that the Lord is going to deliver them. So we want to keep them in prayer as well because she's looking at a job right now with a ministry. She's being looked at for that. But we want to keep Bill and Patty in prayer as well because they are faithful missionaries and they're wonderful people. What's no that? Better time than right now. No better time than right now. Heavenly Father, we'll stop right now and pray for uh, Bill and Patty. And we ask that you do uh, respond according to your great wisdom for them so that they have the comfort that Is above all comfort that comes from you and that they will be relieved of the stress that they certainly must be facing as they're using up their last money to uh, continue to live as they're living so we do pray for them and one other person that we can include in that is will Groban who's still looking for a job as a pastor and he desperately wants to be back in the pastorate and preaching to people your precious word of which he is so capable so we lift him up as well these people that are serving you and that uh, Uh, Want to continue to serve you in some wonderful way. We pray that you'll be with them and guide them in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Good deal. All right. So uh, let's see here 112
1: Now this is our boast our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world And especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God We have done We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace.
0: Okay, this is way different. I'll read it as well. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but with the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. So, yeah, big difference there. In in the previous verses, Paul spoke of the great trials he had faced and the prayers lifted up for him concerning that ordeal, as well as his ongoing trials, all leading to his deliverance. Based on that, he now offers this thought, beginning with, for our boasting is this. The word for boasting is translated by some as rejoicing, pride, confidence, and glory. It is a boast, but it is one directed towards God. And so glorying is a good word to help transmit that idea. What he and those he was with boasted or gloried in was the testimony of our conscience. In the book of Acts and in his epistles, Paul uses the term conscience as a most important aspect of this life. It was a conscience filled not with his own (laughs) attitudes and desires, but one filled with living for the Lord. He says it this way in Acts chapter 23. Let me take you back there. And in Acts 23, verse 1, he says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. This conscience that he speaks of now towards the Corinthians is that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. He knew that their actions were in line with the truth of God and with the good of others in mind at all times. There was nothing pretentious or showy about their conduct. Instead, there was humility and honesty instilled by God in it. In further explanation, he notes that it was not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this, verses 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the same fashion, he is again telling the Corinthians that their words and actions were those of people living in the spirit and not in the flesh. Instead of following the way of the world in their conduct, they attempted to live by the grace of God. And finally, he notes that this grace was more abundantly toward you. His love for those in Corinth is evident in these words. The first letter that he wrote to them addressed divisions and conflicts in the congregation. He knew that his life and actions towards them had to reflect the highest character and godliness in order that they may not become disenchanted with a seeming hypocrite in their presence. For this reason, he endeavored to be completely holy before them. In this, he could then glory in God who bestowed such grace as to live in this manner. Life application. Eyes are watching our actions at all times. Our non-believing neighbors and co-workers see us and make value judgments about Christ based on what we do. I was talking in a different context, but exactly the same thing with Chris before you all came. We're going to do something a little different in one of the prophecy updates that's coming up. And one of the things we talked about is just being a presence there. The very fact that we're there. And that if there is a spiritual battle going on and there is angels present, which we're not aware of, which is certainly the case. And there are demons and these people, which we know are true. I mean, we've seen that. Then there is a spiritual battle in our very presence there and our actions and our continued coming and our continued faithful actions towards them has bearing. It has meaning. It has purpose. And we've seen, I tell you, I know somebody that I'm as certain as I can be that he was demon possessed. I won't say his name, but he and his family were as off the rocker as they could be. And 13 years later, they're the most normal family in the projects. I mean, it's just amazing the difference in these people. There no doubt in my mind some of you have met them. Some of you have seen them in the past, and they're just a marvelous family. But I'm telling you, it was the craziest thing walking up to that house for a while, wasn't it? You never knew what you're going to get. You never knew what you're going to get. It's and Now you get nothing but normal. I normal. It is
1: That's
0: crazy. I them normal. Normal. crazy. You would not have believed it. If you had started all those years ago, you wouldn't have believed And there's another one that is rather similar to that lady and her children who you do know. But uh, I, I'm telling you, it just... There's no doubt that these things are true. All right. So when people are watching, we need to uh, continue on with what we're doing. But also those in the church are watching. If one weaker in the faith sees that our actions are not the epitome of character and godliness, they may also decide that the walk isn't worth the effort. Let us always attempt to walk in holiness before the Lord and in the presence of others. Let me see. Do we have to? We Yeah, we got five minutes. We'll do it. Go ahead. One more.
1: Four. We do not write you, anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. This one ends almost the same. It says, well, you know what? Yeah, no, we're going to do it. We'll keep everybody on an ke- <laughs> uneven keel until next week. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Dot, dot, dot. Okay. Um, this verse has been translated and analyzed in a variety of ways, showing the difficult nature of the words that Paul has written. And yet it seems to be an appeal to the Corinthians that his letters to them are clear and without ambiguity. It may be inferred that Paul was told that some of the Corinthians accused him of writing things in such a way that he would have an out when challenged on the intent of what he wrote. People do that all the time. They, I didn't exactly say that, or we need to know what is means. Uh, What does is mean, right? Okay. If this is so, Paul is defending his letters as clear and concise and without ambiguity or equivocation. In order to convey this, he says, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Said another way, the message is clear on the surface, and as you have read it, that was its intent. In the Greek, there is a play on the words which cannot be reproduced in our English language. The words read, The words you read are anaginosketi, and the word understand is epignosketi. Ellicott gives his analysis of the wordplay. I have no hidden meaning in what I write and you read. What you read, you read aright in its plain and simple sense, I hope. The very hope implies that it had been otherwise, that the more you know me, The more you will so read me and judge me even to the end, the great day when the Lord shall come and all things shall be made plain. Okay, kind of what that means is the more you get to know me, the more you will understand what I am saying. If it sounds like I'm being ambiguous and it's because you don't understand my way of speaking, my thoughts. What does that tell everybody here right now? read your bible again and again because you're not going to get paul the first time you're not going to get any of the bible the first time and the more you as paul says let the word of god dwell in you richly the more the bible will make sense that's why we have gone through how many patterns in the books of we'll say leviticus and numbers okay and people have written commentaries which are completely at variance with that and they're completely wrong why Because they have not let the word of God dwell in them richly. They say, I'm going to do a study on the face of the Lord. But they've never read through the whole Bible or they may have read through it once. And they haven't studied it again and again and again and again to understand that God is giving us a word that is completely understandable. But it is not easy to understand, if that makes any sense at all, until you let it dwell in you. Okay. Saturate, 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 saturate. Let the word of God saturate you. That's a very good way of saying it. As he noted, Paul's continued words of, Now I trust, implies that they had felt what he had written was not plain and simple. In order for them to reconsider that, he fully states, Now I trust that you will understand even to the end. Dot, dot, dot. He is asking them to trust his words unfailingly, even to death itself, which is implied in the words, The end. For all times and in the life of any believer who reads his words, it is his intent. To properly explain and clearly were yes, clearly word every precept needed for proper conduct, holy living, and right doctrine. That garbage that I got on that post this morning was everything out of context. Nothing was letting the word of God dwell richly in that person. It was the Torah is everything, and you need to observe the Torah and everything else from the New Testament was completely out of context. And that's what people do. And they consign themselves to the fiery pit because they're not willing to come to the grace of Christ instead they boast in their own works before the so Lord this
1: person
0: wasn't Jewish. oh no it wasn't this was yeah it was well it was a female and her name was a, a American name no doubt about it but anyway I just it was just unacceptable the entire thing was just unacceptable because people get a little bit of doctrine in a bad church and they run with it and when they do that they have other people that are believing them and it just multiplies in hebrew roots here and you get seventh day adventists there and all of these people that are just driving people away from the grace which is found in christ okay we'll go on if we yeah we got just enough time if we consider that the words of the bible are given under the inspiration of the holy spirit we can then further contemplate the truth of this message god may hide intricate details patterns and pictures in his word which he does but he will never give us a word which is ambiguous Or unclear it would be contradictory to his very nature to do so and when people say well how do I know if God if it's true about Jesus you know what I tell him ask him ask him and I you know I post those uh, one for Israel videos every day a Jewish person comes to the Lord you know what they all say they all say the same thing Lord I was raised a Jew how can this be but I'm I'm willing to ask you is Jesus my Messiah And every one of them, you'll hear it again and again, every one of those videos. I found out that Jesus is my Messiah. Because he simply asked. God isn't going to withhold that from somebody. He's never going to do that. If you think that your doctrine is correct and it's not, then ask him, Lord, if my doctrine is impure, let me know. Jehovah's Witnesses are not willing to do that. They go to their elder. They don't go to Christ and say, God, if I'm wrong in this, I really want to know. All right. Therefore, we can read the Bible, taking it at face value but always remembering context to some things may seem contradictory when taken out of context. However, by keeping things in their proper place, we will always see God's word clearly presented and fully reliable life application. And we are done when someone challenges the Bible's reliability. It is because they have misapplied some portion of it. Instead of doing the hard work, And searching out its truths in a methodical fashion they will take it apart in unintended ways thus making it out to be a faulty source of wisdom don't be fooled by such people they have already fooled themselves and there are enough fools in the world because of this okay you know what the Bible says don't call anybody a fool right we don't have to God has already told us who the fools are he does it again and again in the Bible Therefore, if you call somebody a fool in accord with the word of the Lord, you're not doing anything wrong and you're not violating any precept of God's word. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see an atheist, you say, you know what? You're a fool. Heavenly Father, help us to hold fast to this glorious word you have given us. Oh, it's just amazing. It's just wonderful the things that are in there. And as Paul says, there's nothing ambiguous. We just need to get to know him and his writings and Jeremiah and his writings and you throughout the entire body of scripture a little bit better. And when we do, we will find out that you have given us everything we need perfectly, clearly, and without any equivocation or any you know, maligning intent or anything like that. There's none of that in you. There's only a hope that we will reach out to you, search out for you, and find you. So help us to do so and lord you heard the list at the beginning of this class how many people are suffering with afflictions be with them lord be with them and all of the missionaries and all of the people that are attending here online or later through youtube give them a blessing today as well help them to pursue you and when they do grant that they are their hearts will be blessed in abundance for it we love you lord we thank you for this word and we thank you above all for jesus christ our lord and so it's in his beautiful name we pray Amen. 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 Amen.
1: Okay. There's calendars for next year and cards, reading cards and note cards back there in the box. Good. Charlie. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you.